Get 12 weeks of The Spectator in print and online for just £12, and you'll also receive a complimentary six months of digital access to The Telegraph for free. That was the beginning of the Kyrie from the setting of the Requiem Mass by Thomas Luis de Victoria, a Spanish composer and priest, writing at the beginning of the 17th century. His Requiem represents one of the pinnacles of Catholic polyphony. It's also a dark, troubling, very beautiful and harmonically adventurous work. And you heard it there sung by what was, at the time, unquestionably the finest boys' choir in the entire Catholic Church, the modern equivalent of the Sistine Chapel. I'm referring to Westminster Cathedral Choir, conducted there by David Hill back in 1987. Happier times for this great choir. And I say that because, for a number of years, the future of the choir, as the very finest in the entire Catholic Church, has been under threat. And it is threatened by none other than Westminster Cathedral itself, and the choir school which was set up to educate and train the choristers. And that is a tragic state of affairs. The most immediate threat is to the musical standards of the choir itself, whose repertoire, incredibly complex polyphony and chant, requires virtuosic skill on the part of the boys, and therefore very intense practice. The 20 or so boy choristers, who now make up only 10% of the choir school's pupils, are its only boarders. And until recently they were full-time boarders, because if you ask any of the cathedral's former masters of music, they will tell you that the boys must practice on Saturdays and must be on residence on Saturday night, Sunday morning, in order that they can tackle the most important service of the week, solemn mass at the cathedral, at which they have to sing masses, chants, responses, motets, that are simply beyond the capabilities of an ordinary choir. Only two other boys' choirs in London are in the same league. Those are Westminster Abbey and St Paul's. And their repertoire is simply not as daunting as that of Westminster Cathedral, where the boys sing in Latin, have to master these astonishing multi-layered polyphonic motets, and indeed have done so to worldwide acclaim for decades. The choir famously has its own sound, which is different from that of the great Anglican cathedral choirs, where the sound is perhaps a bit easier on the ear, because the repertoire is perhaps less challenging, or at least challenging in a different way. Standards at Westminster Abbey and St Paul's are just as high, however, and one reason for that is that they too insist on full-time boarding, on intensive rehearsals just before the big Sunday service. Anyway, Last year, the headmaster of the choir school, Neil McLaughlin, decided to end weekly boarding. The choristers went home on Saturdays and came back on Sunday mornings. The much-admired master of music at the cathedral, Martin Baker, said this would have a disastrous effect on performance, and when he wasn't listened to, he suddenly left his job. No explanation was given by the cathedral, but Baker was not there for the Christmas services at Westminster Cathedral. 
the musical world, and by that I don't just mean the Catholic musical world, and I don't just mean the world of cathedral music, was horrified. Two of Britain's leading composers, Sir James Macmillan and Michael Barclay, now Lord Barclay, went to see Cardinal Nichols and pleaded with him to change his mind. But Nichols stuck by the very ambitious choir school and its very ambitious headmaster. And by ambitious, I mean, I think, socially and academically ambitious, not particularly interested in the music. Then when the outcry continued, the Cardinal said he'd have a strategic review to discuss the implications of the changes. But nobody expects very much from it, and the damage is done. Martin Baker has gone. He hasn't been replaced. His deputy, Peter Stevens, is doing a fantastic job with a choir which, even before COVID, had been depleted and whose standards were audibly slipping. Now, COVID, of course, is actually rather convenient for all sorts of institutions which are failing at their job and are looking for a handy excuse. And I think Westminster Cathedral, which has reacted quite hysterically to the pandemic, keeping its doors closed for as long as possible, driving away as many visitors as possible, was hoping it could just blame the virus. So Nichols and McLaughlin must have been absolutely furious when last week the controversy blew up again. It was revealed that Madeline Smith, the very successful music administrator of Westminster Cathedral, has resigned from her job. And not only that, but written a very long and damning letter which was first leaked onto social media by me and has now been picked up by the Times newspaper. The paper's religious affairs correspondent, Kaya Burgess, reported on Saturday that Madeleine Smith resigned with a letter that made allegations about a toxic atmosphere and attempts to undermine the renowned choir. Still quoting from the Times, Miss Smith also claimed that the choir school misled at least one set of potential parents she alleged the parents of one boy were told that he had failed his musical audition because the school hadn't wanted to take a chorister who lived outside London as it would be harder for him to return home for weekends under the new five-day timetable. And if you track down Madeline Smith's letter on social media, for example on my Twitter account, at Holy Smoke, you'll read there's a bit more to that particular story, though the school denies the allegation. The resignation letter also confirms something that's in the public domain but is nonetheless very, very hard to understand, which is that a philanthropist offered to meet the cost of boarding for the choristers, only to be turned down by Westminster Cathedral. And that's in the Times story too. The resignation letter adds, very tellingly, that neither Westminster Abbey nor St Paul's have felt any need to downgrade to weekly boarding, Quote, on the contrary, St Paul's has recently invested millions in the building of new accommodation for their choristers. Anyway, let's set aside for a moment the politics of this very nasty row. What I'd like to do in this podcast episode is explain why musical standards at Westminster Cathedral matter so much and are not merely a question of aesthetics or cultural heritage. Let's hear from Dr Gavin Ashenden regular contributor to this podcast, former chaplain to the Queen, and himself a former boy chorister at Canterbury Cathedral. Gavin is speaking from his own perspective as a former Anglican clergyman who spent many decades listening to beautiful Catholic music being performed in the Church of England, accompanying liturgies that were significantly different from the Catholic ones for which they were written. And his feelings about that music now that he's no longer a member of the Church of England, but a recent convert to Catholicism. 
In the spirit of making a confession, I've always been rather jealous of Westminster Cathedral Choir. They were so very good, and admirably good, and, as all choristers and many other people who listen to choirs know, they had their own distinctive sound. I knew, partly because I was a choral scholar who sung in a cathedral. I was at school at Canterbury, and I had a choral scholarship there, and we did all our singing in the cathedral, and I grew up in my teenage years singing Catholic music in a Catholic cathedral, albeit as an Anglican tenant. When I became a Catholic, so much of what lay within the tradition became available to me as something I owned. Not long ago, I passed by Tintern Abbey and stopped to pray in the ruins. And at last, after decades, at last they were, they were my ruins. <laughs> they were my Catholic ruins. They, they belonged entirely, or not to me, I belonged entirely to them. And the music for the liturgy that choirs have used to celebrate, to worship, to adore, has been Catholic music. And to suddenly discover that the Catholic Cathedral Choir at Westminster, essentially really the only one of its kind, was being threatened or dispensed with or found to be something that, that could be capable of disposal. That, that astonished me. And I thought, what a, what a tragedy that the very moment when I belong fully, this, this wonderful voice, collection of voices, obviously, but a choir has a voice, this wonderful voice is being, is being dispensed with. I won't say thrown away. I don't know enough of the strategy or the politics or the finances or the history. Though, from what I read, there's an element of carelessness in the dispensing of this choir. But it's genuinely unique. It's not, as so many of the commentators say, adjectivally very unique. It's simply unique. And for it to be threatened and to disappear, there will be singing, of course. But it was always something to know that at Westminster Cathedral, not only was the Lord truly present, but the very best choir sung the very best music to the very best God. And that was important. If there's any way at all to save this, this exercise of inspired beauty that tears open the skies of time and matter and allows the pilgrim heart to pierce time and matter with that dart of love that somehow music acts as wings for, then it would be so important to keep it. And such a sadness if to the people who were responsible for it they didn't understand and they let it go, never to be recovered, certainly in our lifetimes, and given the journey, the trajectory of Europe, perhaps never at all. That was Dr Gavin Ashenden. Now, I did try over the weekend to contact Westminster Cathedral or Westminster Diocese for comments, but as usual, they couldn't be bothered to get back to me. But I know enough about their thinking, if you can call it that, to imagine their response to what you just heard. Their line is that all that's happening is that the boy chorister's workload is being reduced a little bit by two days a week, so they can go home and see their families at weekends, and the same glorious masses will still be sung at Westminster Cathedral, although not every single day, because one of the casualties of the new arrangements is that Westminster Cathedral is no longer the only cathedral in the world to sing a full Latin Mass every day of the week. Doesn't that sound reasonable? But if it's reasonable, 
Why are so many leading figures in the world of church music and of classical music generally, many of them Anglicans, one of them a leading Jewish writer on music, Norman Lebrecht, who's been covering the scandal on his wonderful blog Slipped Disc, horrified by what seems to them sheer vandalism. The Reverend Marcus Walker, rector of St Bartholomew the Great in the City of London, wrote this on Twitter. The destruction of our musical traditions across denominations has been criminal. Rarely has Roger Scruton's basic conservative insight been more obvious. Good things are easily destroyed, but not easily created. It will be desperately hard to bring these institutions back. And that was a direct response to my tweet drawing attention to Madeline Smith's letter. Described as powerful and heartfelt by Isenda Maxon Graham, the Anglican writer whose coverage of this miserable business has been outstanding. Now these people inevitably have different reasons for objecting so strongly to what's happening at Westminster Cathedral. But what everybody recognises is that this is, as Gavin says, a unique choir. There are many professional choirs in the world capable of singing this repertoire to an extremely high standard, but the vast majority of them employ adult women to tackle those punishingly difficult soprano parts. Only the boy choristers of Westminster Cathedral are able to meet the same challenge. But it's actually a greater challenge because they have to do it day after day after day as part of a liturgy that's complex in its own right. How incredibly sad, therefore, that this heritage is being dismantled by the very people who are supposed to be protecting it, the Cardinal Archbishop of Westminster and the headmaster of the school that was set up expressly to train boy choristers when Cardinal Vaughan founded the choir. Gavin calls it carelessness, and that's the kindest possible word you could use. I can think of many others. If the boys lose just some of their agility, some of their purity, some of that characteristic open sound for which Westminster Cathedral is famous, then we will not hear the Victoria Requiem sung to the standard that we heard at the beginning of the podcast ever again. And certain very complex polyphonic works will have to disappear from the repertoire altogether. And I think these things are already happening. Of course, none of this answers the question of what musical perfection or near perfection has got to do with an act of Christian worship. After all, every other Christian church in the world manages to get by without this particular apotheosis of a very specialised repertoire. And the truth is that if you were founding a Catholic cathedral choir now, as opposed to in 1903, you wouldn't try. It would just be too difficult. But that's what Cardinal Herbert Vaughan did, and it's thanks to him that people whose religious imaginations are truly stimulated by this music can hear it sung as it was intended to be sung, by boys and men whose voices take wing and soar to the heavens because they have an impregnable technique. And now that technique is being taken away from the boys because the choir school is inconvenienced by the boarding arrangements for just over 20 boys. Neil McLaughlin just doesn't seem that interested in the choir. And one of the things that's got up my nose for a very long time is the way that Westminster Cathedral Choir School, 90% non-choristers these days, likes to boast about how many boys it's managed to get into elite public schools, non-Catholic ones, Eton and Winchester. I know this is something that really annoyed Colin Morby, who was Master of Music at Westminster Cathedral during the 1960s and 70s. 
He said that Cardinal Vaughan hadn't founded the choir school in order to get more posh little boys into Eton. I knew, because I talked to him at length, that Colin was absolutely outraged by what was happening to the choir, which he felt had been betrayed. And sadly, he died last November. I know he would have liked to have seen the financial aspect of this debacle properly investigated, and so would I. But until that happens, all we can do really is draw attention to Westminster Cathedral's readiness to contemplate an act of musical, cultural, liturgical and spiritual vandalism. And I think I speak for quite a few Catholics when I say that actually I couldn't care less about the academic standards at Westminster Choir School. But in the unlikely event that Mr McLaughlin asked for my advice, I think I might suggest that he consider putting Shakespeare's sonnet number 73 on the syllabus. The one that begins, Bare ruined choirs, where late the sweet birds sang. Get 12 weeks of The Spectator in print and online for just £12, and you'll also receive a complimentary six months of digital access to The Telegraph for free.